Church History Matters, episode 46. God's grace and peace to you, brothers and sisters. Welcome back uh, to another episode of Church History Matters. My name is Ruben Rosales. And I'm Joseph Knowles. And we are here to talk about our conclusion to our very long, yeah. <laughs> several months, Yes, I guess, quest to talk about the rise of the go. papacy. There you go. Yeah, and we were going we were gonna to finish at its zenith. Yes, with a, at another installment of Heroes and Heretics, mm. which we haven't haven't done in a while. <clears throat> yeah, um, and and it's not just only a hero or a heretic; it's also villains. And I think that we, this mm. would be filed as in the category of villain, but you can't he- heroes and villains doesn't really go. Yeah, well no, together. he'd be like a super villain almost yeah. in some ways. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> he definitely has some. What's the guy? Uh, Lex Luthor. No, kind of yeah, tendencies. Yeah, yeah. Well, but, we get, before we get to that... This Week in Church History. Yes. So, uh, this episode will be coming to you, Lord willing, on Wednesday, June 21st, 2023. But we're going to look at an uh, event that happened the day after that. So, June 22nd, 1633. And this was a date on which the Holy Office, as in the Holy Office of the Inquisition, uh, handed down a sentence convicting a, um, a man of heresy and basically confining him to house arrest. If you know your medieval, well, Middle Ages history, it's kind of in the modern age by 1633. But this is the date on which the Inquisition convicted Galileo mm. of heresy. Um, which might be, uh, definitely is one that y- it would deserve its own episode at some point yeah. in, in the future, because I think it's really one of those events in the history of Christianity and the church that is just wildly either misunderstood or just totally misrepresented. Um, because it happens. What are you talking about? Okay, yeah, exactly. So his beef with the church, to the extent that it was a beef with the church, was over um, the... At least nominally, the heliocentric view of the uh, solar system, which is the idea that the sun is oh, at the, the cosmos. C- right, the cosmos. Yes. So he says, no, the sun is at the center and the earth revolves around the sun, um, picking up where Copernicus had left off 100 years earlier with his theory of how the cosmos worked. Um, so what he said, uh, and really was dispute not between science and the church, but between one scientist and other scientists, mm. which is, I think, w- one of the things that gets lost a lot. No, no, no. It was against the church. Right. <laughs> now, he is, he's, according at least to some sources, um, supposedly after he, you know, he gave his abjuration, says, yes, I, I recant. I recant what I said about the earth revolving around the sun. And supposedly after they pronounce the sentence, he says, and yet it does Psych. move. Yeah. <laughs> Effectively, yeah. He's supposed to have said, and yet it does move. Hmm. It looks like that actually came uh, into the telling of the story at least a couple decades Mm. later. And there's no, I guess the modern consensus is, uh, he probably didn't say that. Um, But in any event, they they pronounced their sentence. Out loud. He didn't say it out loud. He He probably said it in his head. head. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure he said it in his head. (laughs) 
So they pronounce her sentence. He's confined to house arrest, um, and he would remain on house arrest from 1634 until the end of his life. Mm. But yeah, in any event, it was this June 22nd, 1633, 390 years ago this week in church history that that sentence was wow. pronounced. Which pope? Oh, that's a good question. And I don't remember off the top of my head. Mm. For shame. Yeah, I know. I should have looked that We're one We're talking up. about popes. Yeah, we are talking about popes. <laughs> Oh, well. and, and of course, I mean, you can see by the name of the episode, the Pope that we're talking about today is uh, Innocent the Third, hmm. which is, uh, I think, he came up at least in passing um, when in we talked with, episode. yeah, we talked with Jason, yeah, um, and is a very significant, significant figure. Um, so, like we said at the end of the uh, previous episode, there's so much to talk about Goodness with him. Gracious. It really, it really deserves its own its own episode so that's probably what we're do a whole do series on just him yeah i'm yeah there are books i'm surprised there hasn't been a netflix series about it <laughs> i mean there's a lot of i mean there's a lot of high drama it, it would uh a lot I of mean, hijinks yeah <laughs> both both of those yeah so um to get started i guess we could talk about you know with each of the, the previous uh, popes that we talked about on the previous episodes, we kind of gave you, hey, when did they live? When were they pope? That kind of thing. Um, so Innocent was born February 22nd, 1161, and he died on July 16th, 1216. He was pope from the 8th of January, 1198, until his death. Mm. Um, so not a not a super long reign as pope, but uh, not, not so, as short as some of the other ones that we talked about. Yeah, sure. So I mean, it also allowed him to have a lot of influence. Oh yes, <clears throat> he was he was definitely pope at a very significant time, and we'll get yeah, into because that. there was so much geopolitical mm-hmm. stuff that was really, I mean, it was like a uh, series of unfortunate. Oh events. yes, yes. Um, so he is, of course, innocent. The third is the name he takes as pope. Right, uh, but born he, yes. I'm not going to attempt to pronounce ah, Lotario, Lotario de, de Conti de Segni. Yeah. Segni or Yes. Yeah, the soft G. Right. Um so he's or Lothario would be the English. Uh Lotario sounds, sounds better in in Italian. Um but actually the the family that he's a, a member of was family of nobles that produced nine popes. But did they really? Well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I do know. And you do too, listeners. Yeah. You know better. <laughs> As far as his, uh, and, you know, the most significant thing probably about his early life is the education that he had. He had a very good education. Yeah, so he, he studied theology at the University of Paris, which um, was, I mean, it it depends on who you ask. Like, if you, ask, if you ask Oxford, they'll say, well, we were first. If you ask Paris, they'll say we were. There's different claims, but definitely one of the first uh, universities in the world at the time in the Middle Ages, yeah, it was, according to one author, regarded as a court of final appeal in all matters, theological, moral, and political. So it's a big deal that he's going there and studying theology. I thought it was interesting. This is a part that I didn't know, um, was that while he was studying at Paris, he apparently made a pilgrimage to Canterbury Cathedral hmm. in England, and if you remember English history, you know, the Canterbury Cathedral, Cathedral is where Thomas Becket was assassinated in 1170. So within a few years of uh, Becket's being assassinated, he's canonized in 1173. Lothario is traveling 
to Paris, making this pilgrimage to the site of this martyr of the Catholic Church. Very well, that could have been influential. Yeah, influential, shaping his view on the relation between church and state. So just briefly, Henry hold that in the back of your mind for a little bit. Yeah. Um, And what happened to Thomas Becket was the king said, "Hey, you need to appoint this bishop to this office." And you know, Thomas said, "Well." No, it's not your prerogative to do that, so I'm not going to do it. And Correct. There's variations on what the king said. One version is something to the effect of, well, no one rid me of this meddlesome priest. And uh, several of the knights, apparently, it's who like heard the, this. Uh, like the uh, Christmas vacation. <laughs> <laughs> Cousin Eddie. Yeah. <laughs> so Cousin Eddie of the of the knights went and Yeah, yeah. Him. They, I, I mean, gruesomely murdered him mm. um, within the cathedral. And, of course, uh, you know, the king repented for all of this, but that was very um, abrupt, not abrupt. What's the word I'm looking for? Like an eruptive conflict directly between church and state. The king says, yeah. do this. The church says, we're not going to. And it resulted in his murder. So you can see how uh, potentially that would have been, you know, like you said, formative or influential on what innocent would come to think of church-state relations. Uh, I was going to say that, and this, um, I'm sure we'll get to it eventually, but it's also interesting because we, you know, we, when I mentioned that series of unfortunate mm-hmm. events occurred, and it just so happened that Innocent kind of came into this role, but then there are some good things that actually did result mm-hmm. f- directly from actions that were taken by Innocent III. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's interesting to see. And it's, we've been having sermons over the past several weeks about suffering and about mm-hmm. how... You know, there's there's a purpose behind all these things, even though we can't see them. Yeah. Oh, in absolutely. The absolutely. Uh, so he comes back from France to the University of Bologna uh, to study. Bologna. Yeah, Bologna. Uh, Bologna is the the city in Italy. Um, at the university there, he studies jurisprudence. So he's studying law, canon law, um, and really at the time, that was the only institution that could claim any kind of rivalry with the University of Paris. Um, so I say all that to say, like, unlike some of the other popes that we we talked about in previous episodes, he's very well educated mm-hmm. um, in terms of qualification for high ecclesiastical office. Like, that's the kind of person you would expect to be in there, at least if you if you hold all the same doctrinal convictions of the Roman Catholic Church at the time. Like, sure. yes, this guy should be a cardinal. Um, he, in fact, was made a cardinal in 1190 uh, by Pope Clement III. Who was his uncle. Of course he was his uncle. <laughs> but at least this guy had some qualifications. Yes. It's not just, it's you not know, straight nepotism. nepotism. Yeah. Right. It's like, <clears throat> yes, okay, he's my nephew, but look at him. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> I, I find it so interesting that seemingly all of these guys have very strange circumstances accompanying their election. Mm. And, in fact, Innocent is no exception to this. So his predecessor was Pope Celestine III. Uh, was, the, there was there when I was reading this part, and I think it was Justo Gonzalez's book. It, it it read to me as like that almost sounds like innocent, and not to say that he did because there's no record at all that he did. But it's interesting when you look at oh how it came about. Mm. It's like could he have? Did he have an influence? Or, you know, uh, did he affect that mm. by some action that he mm-hmm. had done? I don't know. Yeah, but it is interesting. So Celestine III, he was elected to the papacy in 1191 at the age of 85. Mm, that's up there for back yeah, then. Yeah. Goodness. That's 
quite quite elderly, especially for the Middle Ages. So they're probably thinking like he's a placeholder. We'll get the next guy in. Mm-hmm. Um, well, now he lived until 1197. Um, when in December of that year he you know falls ill, he realizes this is the end for me. But I'll go ahead and abdicate on the condition that you elect the guy that I tell you to elect. Right. Well, College because Cardinals. Yeah. We can do that. Right. But this is after the fact of which pope was it? I forget which one it was. I'm sorry. Uh, established the rule of. Yes. Right. So the the yes the pope can abdicate. Yes. Oh no, I meant the other one that said you had to do you had to choose by you know. Oh okay. Stay yes. in the room. This is yes. after this. Right. Correct. Point. Yeah. So the cardinals do not agree to this. Celestine dies a few weeks later in January of 1198, and this is the weird part. The same day, the cardinal the college of cardinals meet, and they elect Clothario. Who at the time was only thirty-seven years old. It's very young. That's very young for a pope. So, the pope dies, and within twenty-four hours, his successor had already been elected. Mm. Not suspicious at all. Well, it's just it's it's unusual. It's very unusual. Even I mean, I don't remember how long it took in between um, the College of Cardinals convening after Benedict XVI abdicated. Right. And then, um, well, but what about Bergoglio. Pope John the, the Second, Pope John Paul the Second? Yeah, like there was, I mean, I think it was, I don't know how long it was, but I don't yeah, think it, was, it was that quick. It definitely wasn't 24 <laughs> hours, yeah. So, especially well, because there's history. a lot of, there's a lot of, I mean, that's a very coveted position. It's, oh, it's, yeah, there's poli- well, I mean, there's politics involved, yeah, you can't, absolutely, yeah. So, it is interesting that it was so quick, oh, yeah. So, yeah, kind of diving in. So he takes office in um, January of 1198. And we're going to talk, I mean, so much, so much happened that, like you said, it's it's hard to even fit it all into one Man, episode. You're, you're, you're cutting off so much. I see. I see. I'm going to go back okay, to my notes. Go ahead, go ahead. No, you, you, I got to find my notes first. Okay. So, well, one of the early things that happened is he, he, becomes, he becomes embroiled in... Oh, Henry VI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the, at, uh, so yeah, this is what was interesting okay. at the time of his at the time of his ascension. As yeah. soon as he got there, there was also the death of Henry the Sixth. Right. But it's funny here. It says that the he reluctantly took the tiara. Yeah, yeah. Vero, I yes, I will do it. Okay. Okay. Since you talked I'll to me, take all his power that you yeah, yeah. gave me. Um, yeah. So you mentioned Henry the Sixth. He was the uh, Holy Roman Emperor. Well, it, it kind of it was weird where you uh, he was elected King of the Germans, but then that office automatically comes with. Now you're also the Holy Roman Emperor. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's the, um, it's not ex cathedra, um, ex officio. There you mm-hmm. go. That's the word I was looking for. But he died in September of 1197. And he left the succession in dispute because his heir was his son, who was then only about two years old. Right. So we're not passing, we're not electing him king of the Germans. That's not going to happen. So let's do a vote. Right. But there was there were two main candidates. Um, one was backed by the King of France. That was Philip, Duke of Swabia or Swabia. And Swabia. Oth- Otho? Yeah. Uh, Otho? O- Otho or Otto, yeah. Uh, the Duke of Brunswick, who was backed by the King of England, who had mm-hmm. Richard I or Richard the Lionhearted, also his uncle. Of course. Right? Of course. Philip, the other candidate, was a member of the same Hohenstaufen dynasty. He was uncle to Frederick. So he is Henry VI's brother. Four-year-old child, Frederick II. Yeah. King of Sicily. Yes. So that was, yeah, that's the other part, That's the other piece of the puzzle. So at the time, we think of Germany as like this country in North Central Europe, but yeah. really the, they controlled much more than that, including right. a lot of stuff in, in Northern Italy. So 
they have yeah you're right you have to have an election to elect the king of the germans and both the supporters both had an election elected both of them in separate elections and then overnight <laughs> one of them far outnumbered the other magically overnight Oh, it, there was oh. a magical ballot box right. that showed up, <laughs> and <laughs> um, eighty-one million. Yeah, <laughs> the m- largest number ever recorded. Yes. Uh, no, <laughs> that would have made things easier, but it wouldn't have given innocent the opportunity um, to throw his support behind one of the candidates. Right. So he comes along at twelve on one and says it should be Otto, uh, who was the candidate preferred by England, um, and like I said, the King of England's nephew. Hmm. But his support was not really enough to get the German nobles to say, we recognize this guy. Right. So well, there was these competing claims. And there's there's the spin that the Church of Rome puts on it that, oh, he was doing this for the best interest of the four-year-old Frederick. Right. Um, he was doing it as a favor to the widow mm-hmm. because she was afraid. And she might have been. She very well, I mean, it's understandable. My son is now in the middle of this whole debacle mm-hmm. it's very very likely that someone's going to try to take his life yeah yeah so she supposedly enlisted the help of pope innocent mm-hmm. and uh yeah he had compassion for that supposedly right yeah that was that was a a a factor right yes and it just it, it was uh, very convenient for him that frederick maintained the title of king of sicily mm-hmm. which um to get your medieval geography here now, the, the papacy controlled some of like central Italy and then the kingdom of Sicily was not just the island of Sicily. It was the island and also the boot heel area mm-hmm. of the Italian peninsula. To the north of Rome and the papal states was part of the Holy Roman, Roman Emperor territory that would have been controlled by Henry VI or Otto or Philip if they, you know, eventually were able to um, take over that office. Right. Fully. So his uh, predecessor dies, you know, although it was coming. They knew it was mm-hmm. coming, but kind of dies suddenly. And uh, that same day he's elected and, and reluctantly accepts right. the role of, as pope. And then also Henry dies, mm-hmm. which kind of leaves a vacuum of power. Right. Which again, this is sort of like, wow, this is all kind of working out in his favor here. Yeah. So that the actions that he took, which resulted in his ascension to a, essentially a political, religious figure, could come to fruition. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, this kind of went on. It went on for a number of years, actually. And the the innocent actually threatened to excommunicate anyone who did not support his candidate for Holy Roman Emperor. You know, Otto was, he wasn't actually able to consolidate power and kind of really take over the office of king emperor until, conveniently, hmm. his uh, his um, rival was assassinated in 1208. <gasps> yeah. So this lingers for 10 years mm-hmm. um, where, the, <clears throat> where the office is kind of up in the air. Now, what had he done, what had Otto done to kind of get Innocent on his side? Well, he'd made a number of concessions to the pope basically designed to bring these Ita- these northern Italian lands back under the Pope's influence mm-hmm. instead of under the Emperor's influence. Right. Well, as soon as he consolidates power, he basically goes back on that. Um, he marches into Italy. He starts divvying out the land that Innocent thought the papacy should control. So he's now big mess. Yes. Yeah, he's mad. Uh, so, of course, 
the Pope responds by excommunicating him, the Holy Roman Emperor. And this leads to the German nobles, or at least some of them, electing Frederick as king, um, who we previously said, yeah, like you mentioned, was king of Sicily and had grown up as innocence, under innocence protection. So Otto is out, Frederick is in. What year was that? That was uh, in between... 1209, so 1198 yeah. to 1209. But Otto doesn't just, he doesn't just ride off into the sunset. He kind of attempts to hold on to power until uh, 1214. He's eventually... Uh, defeated in a battle, uh, an ongoing war between uh, France and a coalition led by England, which, maybe somewhat ironically, had been organized and supported by innocents. So <laughs> we got to keep that French king in check. So, hey, England and all these other nobles, you guys need to get together and go to war against France. Mm. And again, Otto was defeated. This leads to Frederick's power becoming undisputed. Um, although by that time, the German nobility is in a shambles, basically. Yeah. Um, so the Holy Roman Emperor exercised much less power after this than he did before. Um, and I thought the way that um, it, uh, Nick Needham put it was, was good. This is in Volume 2 of 2,000 Years of Christ's Power. He says, Innocent III had quite deliberately presided over the political disintegration of Germany in the interests of papal independence. So... In doing what he did in that episode there, he basically secured the territory of the Papal States as they would continue to exist for the next 600 years. Yeah. So it wasn't until Napoleon that that territory was all broken up. So he was, so in essence, what he did was he also very loudly and, uh, what's the word, clearly, I guess, uh, demonstrated that the Pope is not under the Emperor. Yeah. And yep. that he is in essence, higher than. And oh, yes. I think he has a very famous quote that you have uh, yes. there. Yes, yeah, so he definitely took a very high <laughs> view of the Pope's authority in temporal matters. And he used a, uh, an analogy or an allegory to explain it, and it's often referred to as the sun and moon allegory. And he wrote this down in a letter to the nobles of Tuscany. And it's a little bit long, but I think it's, it's, uh, it gives you a good idea of what he was talking about and what his mindset was. Uh, here's what he wrote. Just as God, founder of the universe, has constituted two large luminaries, lights, in the firmament of heaven, a major one to dominate the day and a minor one to dominate the night, so he has established in the firmament of the universal church, which is signified by the name of heaven, two great dignities, a major one to preside, so to speak, over the days of the souls, and a minor one to preside over the nights of the bodies." They are the pontifical authority and the royal power. Thus, as the moon receives its light from the sun, and for this very reason is minor, both in quantity and in quality, in its size and in its effect, so the royal power derives from the pontifical authority the splendor of its dignity, the more of which is inherent in it, the less is the light with which it is adorned, whereas the more it is distant from its reach, the more it benefits in splendor, end quote. So that's an interesting, um, an interesting concept to kind of toy with. I mean, obviously, I think Innocent gets it wrong here. I mean, he puffs up, he's puffed up with some pride. Mm -hmm. And not to say that necessarily that's all it is. I think there's some strategic reasons for doing what he did and trying to, you know, establish that rule. But it's not wrong to say 
the closer that a king or ruler is to God, the better and right. more righteous his rule will be. Yeah, yeah. Like, that is true. Mm-hmm. But that, that's part of the problem that we would see with the Roman church is that they elevate the pope to this position that he ought not be elevated to. Right, yeah. And even in the analogy, it's kind of... Um, because he he's kind of saying not that authority is derived from God and it passes right. down to me and then to you. In making the church, the pontifical authority, the sun, mm-hmm. the sun is actually the source of light. Right. When the church is not the source of power. Right. So he, he kind of messes up with his, his allegory there, I think. Yeah, but I think it was probably a Freudian slip. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Because what he really believed, we see in his later actions of establishing himself as a as a sort of king. Yeah, and uh, he was going to get into conflicts with. Well, I mean, when you try to establish yourself as a king, you're going to get into conflicts with other kings. Yep. So he's already gotten into conflict. He got into conflict with the German king right off the bat, and then it wouldn't be long before he also got into a conflict with the king of England. Mm-hmm. Um, so Richard the first died in 1199 and was succeeded by King John. If you know your Robin Hood, uh, <laughs> um, who stole from the government. Yes. To not give from back the to rich. the people. Yeah. He stole from the government, not the rich. <laughs> the government steals from the rich and from everyone else. <laughs> yes. Know your, uh, know your English, uh, folklore, please. Yes. Um, so how did this conflict with King John get started? Well, there's a disputed election Innocent wanted a certain person to be Archbishop of Canterbury, which again is like head office in England. And King John said, no, I don't accept that guy. So very similar to what happened with Thomas Beckett, except kind of in reverse. Mm-hmm. And Innocent says, well, that's fine. I'm just putting England, yeah. all of it, under interdict. Wow. Um, which if, you don't, if you're not familiar with that term, to kind of put it in modern terms, think of it like, all of the priests in the entire country going on strike. We don't, we're not going to perform the mass. We're not going to perform baptisms with some exceptions. Like if the guy's about to die and we need to hear confession, then we'll do that. But otherwise no baptisms, no communion, none of it. Right. Um, and John said, well, that's fine. You threaten me with interdict and go ahead and make my day. And so innocent did that continued for about four years mm. where the entire country was, uh, under, under the interdict and it wasn't, he wasn't really making headway. John wouldn't budge. So innocent. John offered a bribe. Yes. I, tell me about that. Cause I don't, yeah. <laughs> so the King John had offered King innocent 3000 marks if he would decide in favor of de Grey, but the Pope refused. Hmm. Well, that's another Pope probably would have accepted. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so well, that's the have. thing, right? It's really interesting because if you think about if, if what, Innocent has said is true. And we're not in the age of internet and even modern telecommunication abilities, right? So he's made this statement that, in essence, no ruler has any authority unless Mm -hmm. the Pope invests him. Mm -hmm. And so if you're a ruler, for example, if you're a sovereign, it is natural and probably good. You should probably think, that's a problem, mm. and this guy's going to come and try to usurp the authority that has been given right. to me. So, yeah. yeah, interesting. So this results eventually in the uh, in innocent excommunicating, excommunicating King John. He releases the English nobles from their oaths to him, 
And he goes to the last final step is saying, oh, by the way, I'm going to call for a crusade to come and kick you out of the throne. One of many. Right, yes. Yes, it would not he be He was his... just getting started. <laughs> he had yes. not yet begun to go crazy with some crusades. Right. So uh, John, King John is the one who blinks. Um, that was just too much. And uh, he gave in to the Pope's demands. Uh, but he, he, really, he really outdid him and did himself. He goes so far as to surrender his kingdom, effectively, you know, basically making England the Pope's property. Yikes. Like, I'm the Pope. I own England now. <laughs> he really was a coward, wasn't he? Uh, I mean... They portrayed that properly in uh, Robin Hood, eh? Well, which version? Like the, the Disney version? Yeah. Kind of like that, I guess. <laughs> I didn't watch the other ones. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of... And, and that would... I mean, this is at the same... Or right around the same time, remember, uh, Magna Carta is 1215. Yeah. So, John was... He was not on a good track. But it didn't help that Innocent was uh, pushing him around, and England is now his property. Uh... <laughs> He so to uh, I guess to check off the uh, trifecta of of European monarchs that he was going to have a conflict with, um, Innocent um, gets into a conflict the, with the King of France. He was one of the fil- why not? Yeah, why? Well, yeah, he's already check taken on. He's already taken on two yeah. really big kings. Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, at the time, these are uh, these are definitely the three biggest in, on. Oh yeah, in, in Europe. Europe, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So the, the the French king had his nobles cancel his first marriage for various reasons and he for got reasons. married yeah reasons just it's canceled and he married a second time so um innocent would, mulligan yeah he was not putting up with that good and he put france under interdict mm. in the year 1200 and the king initially resisted but eventually he does give in when his new wife died <laughs> right. you must go back to your old wife no uh, oh okay. my wife just died yeah i'll go back <laughs> Yes. Well, in the meantime, uh, he hadn't just said, oh, you can go back to your family now. He had sent his first wife in, you know, off to a nunnery, which mm. is effectively imprisonment. It's like, yeah, geez. Um, you don't have to go back to your family, but you can't stay here. You can go in that nunnery. Um, yeah. So, and eventually he did take her back. 13 years later. Right. So the entire process took, took 13 years. Um, but that was another instance of and here, Innocent was in the right in what he was saying. Sure. Was that, hey, you, you can't just get your buddies, the nobles who, you know, have sworn... Your a, boys. Right. To yeah. slow, sworn a loyalty oath to you to <laughs> sign off on your uh, cancellation of your marriage. That's not how this works. Now, we can question, like, okay, do you, you put the entire country... You punish the entire country for what the king did? Uh, yeah, a bit much. Right. Yeah, it's like and using it, a nuke to kill a mosquito. Right. <laughs> and it's a di- I mean, it's a different mindset when we we don't think about kings and monarchies and governments the same way that they would have. Um, but yeah, it also seems like overkill. Like, why not just inter- uh, excommunicate that guy, the one who's mm-hmm. actually sinning? I guess I guess if you think about it, um, in the fact that the the whole purpose of a ruler of a king is to protect his mm-hmm. people, his. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess that might've been his thinking is if I can, you know, it's like the same, uh, thing, a reason a blockade works. Right. Right. I'm yeah. Not, I'm not just going to make you specific. I'm going to make the people around you suffer. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it, it, it's, it's kind of a political move dressed yeah. in religious language. Yeah. Uh, because obviously the, the nobles would not be happy with the king either if the, he brought this down on the whole country. 
again, this these are probably some of the big ones, but there would be other conflicts with uh, with European monarchies throughout his his tenure as pope. Um, but it wasn't just he wasn't just all politics. Um, and I've got to I mean, yeah, we'll I mean, talk he, about some of the crusades. He defended sure. uh, against uh, heresies, which Man- ones? Manichaeanism. Yes, which is good. Yeah. The yeah, also kind of, well the, the Albigensian crusade yeah then was he the children's crusade I don't I think remember I saw... you might be right there was a bunch of crusades yeah, right around the same time well I think it was he was he was not a good guy well while you're looking for that it's just a uh, a few things that he did within the Catholic Church itself and one he kind of increased the structure of uh, what they called the papal legates, L-E-G-A-T-E-S. I always thought that was pronounced legates. Legates. Yeah. I don't know. I've heard legates. I don't know. I'll, I'll go with whatever you say because sure. I don't know. I, I mispronounced the word awry for like my entire oh, adult yeah, life. <laughs> um, but the, these these guys were kind of like ambassadors. Yeah. But they're significant in that they were appointed by and answerable to the Pope. So it's not like um, some of the cardinals or the archbishops who are the, um, you know, the kings and governors are involved in their appointment. Like these guys are appointed by the popes. So he did, well, we mentioned the Albigensians already. And uh, Innocent set up some special legates to go and root out heretics in southern France. Um, and during the Albigensian crusade, which we'll talk about in just a few minutes. But... Ah, yep. Uh, wait, let me see the year... Nope, nope. Children's Crusades was before. Okay. Yeah. I, but only slightly. I think it was like the second or third. Okay. Yeah. So he's, um, he does the fourth one. Gotcha. Yes, the fourth crusade. So these papal legates that go to France, that kind of forms the foundation of what later becomes the Inquisition. Mm. Um, so he's he didn't set up the Holy Office itself, but it was these reforms that he started to make that laid the groundwork for that. Right. Like, so as happened in England, Innocent took the position that the Pope had the power to appoint bishops in case of a dispute. So that's kind of what happened with John, um, where they, the various parties there couldn't agree. Mm. And the Pope so. said, hey, you can't agree. That's fine. You get this guy. Yep. Which, I mean, it, it is a church office. When you think about it, it's like, okay, it is a church office. Yeah. And if anybody's going to have the say so to have that, you know, either a tiebreaker or no, you need to, here's a compromise candidate. Okay. It kind of makes sense that you go all the way up the chain, sure. like the CEO or the King, he's going to appoint them. Uh, but obviously this created, this created strife because it wasn't the way that it had been done up to that point. Um, and I thought this was interesting. He, he's not, he's, he's not endearing himself to me. With he's this got one. a little Woodrow Wilson in him. Yeah. Don't he? Yeah. Um, yeah, so he was the first, uh, first, he was the Pope who imposed the very first general income tax on all Catholic clergy to be paid to the Roman See. Yes, and part of that was uh, to help pay, to help raise money for the Fourth Crusade, mm. which was a debacle, and I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah. Um, and maybe the, uh, this is maybe the, the most significant of the the things that happened during uh, Innocent's uh, time as Pope, uh, as as far as things go within within the Church, and that's the Fourth Lateran Council. Right. Um, so this is a con- council that's convened in November of twelve fifteen. Fairly fairly close to his death. Yeah. So very near the air, uh, <clears throat> the end of his time. 
Um, the Catholic Encyclopedia calls it the most important council of the Middle Ages. Yeah, yeah, they it's were very... hard to argue with that. Yeah, um, there are about uh, there were some twelve hundred uh, bishops and other uh, uh, de- delegates. That's yeah. probably not the right word. Who attended along with all of their you know assistants and that kind. Of, so it's big, mm-hmm. um, and they put out a lot. Um, there were seventy canons. That's a lot. Uh, this again, this is interesting. The 70 canons were all adopted on the very last day of the council without any debate. <laughs> yeah. So the, the you conclusion. So unanimous. Right. It was yeah. a unanimous consent for 70 canons. Yeah. Which leads some people to <clears throat> believe, and this is, it's plausible at least to me. And sure. Likely, like, sure. Uh, probably Innocent drew, drew these up himself. Right. And he got everybody was, to come in. After all those shenanigans with excommunications and <laughs> getting kings to, you know, toppling of kings. I'm sure he was just like, this is what we're going to do. It just stared at people. And was yes, like, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, we agree. <laughs> anyone, anyone who disagrees speak. Yeah. And he just stared at them, dared them to silence. Yeah. Nothing. Uh, um, Unanimous consent. Right. <laughs> um, some of them that were notable was Canon 21, mm. where the Christians are commanded. Christians, all Christians are commanded to confess sins to their local priest at least once a year, and you're commanded to receive communion at least once per year on Easter. So, well, it, it was at least once per year, and I guess Easter was kind of like, you should do it then. Why wouldn't yeah. you do it on Easter if you're only going to do it once a year? Yeah, that just seems ridiculous. Yeah. Well, we do. They're, they're, the latter half. I mean, the first half, I think obviously most people would be like, I mean, the, the whole confession, the reckon, the, the, what do they call it? The, um, sacrament of reconciliation mm-hmm. right so uh, for those that are not familiar the roman catholic church uh believes there are seven sacraments one of which is the sacrament of reconciliation now in the roman catholic church they teach that sacraments impart grace to the person who undertakes and goes through the sacrament so um, grace is imparted to you when you go to reconciliation and you confess to the priest directly all of your sins Specifically, you are to confess mortal sins because a venial sin would be covered and forgiven during the Mass. Mm. Because during the Mass, you have a corporate confession period mm-hmm. where you, you say these things, uh, confess to Almighty God, to you, my brothers and sisters, I've sinned by my own fault, in my thoughts and in my words, blah, 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 blah. Right? So venial sins or those sins that are made on accident mm. or without thinking or, mm-hmm. you know, um, those are covered and, and removed through that corporate confession and then there's a prof- uh, professing of uh, forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, so only your mortal sins would need to be you know, this is the sin that I did. I thought about it. I knew it was a sin and I did it anyway. Mm-hmm. Those were the ones that you had to go to a confession in order for a priest to absolve you in order for you to say, my my conscience is clear. I've now re- I'm now backed into the state of grace mm-hmm. with God. And right. if you had died without having been in a state of grace, you would go to purgatory. Mm-hmm. So that's the doctrines of the, of the Roman Catholic Church. So they're saying, hey, at least once a year, you should confess these kinds of sins, yeah. which is ridiculous because first you should confess often and mm-hmm. as, as soon as possible. Right. And directly to God because right. you don't need yes. a priest, an intermediary. We can go directly to the throne of grace. Praise <laughs> God for that. Um, Canon 54. So tithes were to take precedence over all other taxes. Yeah, I don't even know how you... How you 
Yeah, for, you, you, you have no loyal, no fealty to any kings or civil authorities. You must have chief fealty to the church. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's another shot across the bow to the monarchs and the, and the states. It's like, you know, we're first in line. We take off the top, which in reality, like when, when we're doing our budget, like that, yeah, that absolutely of should come off the top. Of course. Absolutely. Without question. Yeah. Although it, in reality, it doesn't because in the United States, we have they, federal they withholding taxes. It, they so get they their hand it. in our back pocket. Yeah. yeah. Canon 63 prohibited simony, which again, yeah, that's right. the selling of church office. Um, and there are also a number, I think like 67 or 68 through 70 right. that uh, dealt with what are we supposed to do with non-Christian Jewish people living in Christian cities or Christian uh, dukedoms or countries or those kind of things. And <laughs> they're not, it's not great. Yeah. <laughs> the, some of the things that uh, the council said um, should be imposed upon uh, the Heathens. Jewish people, yeah, who were living among them, but yeah, yeah specifically, very, there's very specific to Jewish people. Ah, Jewish. I mean, one of them prohibited them from charging interest, which is that's always kind of been a a sticking wow. point. Yeah. Um, wow, dude, that's crazy that it goes back that far. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, well, I mean, Old Testament law obviously says yeah, you're not yeah. supposed to do that, right? But. Well, I mean, what. The re- I guess part of the reason it became a thing was with the Old Testament, or at least the way that, that I understand that they interpreted the Old Testament law was Israel. we can't charge interest to Israel. Right, yes. Right. But the the Gentiles, we can sure, charge absolutely. whatever we want. Yeah. Um, so that's why it's like, uh, yeah, it's kind of a, a sticking point. Uh, but probably the most, you know, the most famous and the most significant of the uh, 70 yes. canons is the first one. Um, because it was the one that officially established the definition of the doctrine of transubstantiation. So I would want to go into that a little bit more. Is that is that the doc, when they established that doctrine of transubstantiation, which is the doctrine that says that during the mass, the bread and the wine maintain their physical attributes, but become the body and blood of Jesus Christ. So. That's what transubstantiation believes, mm-hmm. um, or the doctrine of transubstantiation states. Um, my question would be: Did the mass exist as a sacrifice before then, or mm-hmm. is it the doctrine of transubstantiation that made it into we're we're, re, we're redoing the sacrifice of Christ's body and blood? Right. That's something I would want to study up on. Yeah. Well, let's. I mean, I've got the. Um, and I should have brought all my Roman Catholic. Yeah, references yeah. I didn't. This is um, f- and is the I'm getting the definition again from Nick Needham, uh, Volume Two. And this is the definition they gave of transubstantiation. There is indeed one universal church of the faithful, outside of which no one at all is saved, mm-hmm. which we've talked about before, mm-hmm. and in which the priest himself, Jesus Christ, is also the sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Which, yes, mm-hmm. he, he he is the lamb. Is yes yes. His body and blood are truly contained in the sacrament of the altar. Eh. Under, under the appearances of bread and wine, mm-hmm. the bread being transubstantiated into his body by divine power and the wine into his blood, so that we receive from him what he received from us, flesh and blood. Thus the mystery of unity between Christ, is a, Christ and us is accomplished. Indeed, no one can perform this sacrament except the priest, properly ordained according to the power of the keys of the church, which Jesus Christ himself granted to the apostles and their successors. 
Mm. So, I mean, you do have that word, you have the word sacrifice in there. So yeah. I think it's based on that. But it, I wouldn't want to look kinda, it yeah. forward. See, was that, yeah. was that the view beforehand? Right. Or did they come up with that right. word at, sacrifice at, at that point? Did innocent come up with that? Right. Yeah. Course. That would be, yeah, that would be something worth looking into. Be because they, of course, yeah, the way that the Roman Catholics think about doctrines and official doctrines and dogmas is, is interesting in and of itself. Yeah. I, yeah, I which is why, this. you know, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think the question came up recently if, if we would go invited to uh, any from anything that was happening at a Roman oh, Catholic yeah, yeah. church, right? It's like, well, would you would it be okay for a Protestant to receive communion? They don't really fence the table. Pretty much they'll, mm-hmm. they'll offer it like, hey, we're doing communion. And then if you get in line, and as long as you don't act funny, right. you know, like don't know what you're doing. Like, mm-hmm. they'll, like if you try to pocket it and walk away, they'd probably... They probably think something's up. Yeah, yeah. Because you normally, at least the way they did it in the church I grew up in, was you walk up, you have to, you have to have your hands a certain way, mm-hmm. and it was you, you have your left hand on top of your right hand, and you get it, they hand it to you in your left hand. Used to before Vatican II, you couldn't touch it. Mm. They put it they, on your tongue. They put it on your tongue. Mm. You had to go, and you had to go ah, uh, <laughs> and they put it on your tongue, <laughs> which is. It seems well. It seems weird, but but if you look at the doctrine, yeah, yeah you can sense. understand. Yeah, like, absolutely. But so then, uh, yeah. So you, they put it in your hand, and you have to use your right hand to grab it. You put it. So that's why you, you have to have your, your left hand. Okay, yeah. Put it in the left hand. They place it there, and you grab it with your right hand, and you have to insert it mm-hmm. into your mouth. I don't remember why that was the whole thing. I don't know if that's you know written in the in the catechism right, or right. not. But that was the way we were taught when I went through um, first communion, and uh, you immediately. Throw it in, mm-hmm. eat, and then you go to the guy who has the cup, and you drink the cup. Yeah. So if you if you just follow that order, they'll let you up and do it. But the right. thing is, their belief is, uh, I what I what I believe is a blasphemous view mm. of the the what they would call the Holy Eucharist. Yeah. Because of the transubstantiation. Right. Transubstantiation. Yep. So anyhow, on that's to his, the Crusades. That's his his church stuff. Yes. Let's get on to the fun stuff. Yes. The Fourth Crusade, which, as I said before, yikes, is just a total debacle. And it's one of the first things he does after he gets into office, which, I mean, he kind of been building toward this, I, th- I think, probably as a cardinal, like, hey, we need to do this. We need mm-hmm. to do this. Um, so, again, remember, he comes to office in January of 1198. He issues a bull in August <laughs> of 1198. So, seven months later. Yeah. It's called Post Miserabile. Uh, forgive my Latin pronunciation, hmm. but it means sadly after. Doesn't your wife teach Latin? Yes. <laughs> Doesn't mean I know it. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. My, yes. wife, my wife is fluent in Spanish, and I. Yes. Um, so again, these papal bulls usually take their name from like the first few words or a right. phrase near the beginning. Like your word documents when you write a, you know, yeah, a word document. Exactly. Save as very yes. first few words. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Not helpful. No. Most of the time. <laughs> Um, but again, he's proclaiming a new crusade to retake Jerusalem, which had been taken back by, you know, some Muslim army or the Ottomans or whoever Ottomans, it was yeah, at yeah, the time. Yeah. Who were the Turks, right? The... Yeah. I don't remember exactly where, but yeah, in yeah. that area, central a- ancient Near East or the Near East. Mm-hmm. Um, well, this is a problem <laughs> when, because remember, yeah, this we is where it gets really interesting. This is the part that I was telling you I was reading, and I was like, man, this sounds like drunk history or something. Like somebody <laughs> was reading it, and they're just like, oh, so this is what this guy does. But 
Th- yeah. This was happening, so he had to go do this instead. And yeah. it's like, oh my gosh. So remember... What uh, is happening? Remember all the you know the conflicts between the German nobles and France and England that we were talking about before? Yeah. Like, all that is happening right now. And Innocent comes along and says, hey guys, we got to retake Jerusalem. Retake the like, Holy Land. Well, hey, you know, we're a little busy right now, Mr. Right. Pope, sir. Um, <laughs> we've got this war we're fighting between each other. We don't really have guys to spare right. to send halfway across the known world on your religious adventure. Right. All respect to you, Mr. Pope. <laughs> you know, we're good Catholics, but we just can't do it right now. Right. There's more important pressing local matters. Right. Yes. So, I mean, eventually he was able to raise an army. Um, and they mm. kind of... You know what this reminds of me sort. of? Yeah, it reminds me of um, <laughs> the uh, in the judges. Uh, although not, I mean, not in a good way. Uh, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting his name. The judge who who supposedly some folks would say gave his daughter up, burned her in the fire. Ah, Jephthah. Jephthah, yes. Yeah. Who ran around with what do they call them? Sco- basically scoundrels. Mm. They were they were men of war, but they were not good men. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So essentially, the kind of army he yeah. rounds up. It sounds it's it's whoever was kind of left over. So mm. I'm sure you know. <clears throat> If the German, you know, the King of France says, uh, I got these guys, I'll send them. Yeah. And the, the rally point was Venice. Mm. Uh, because if you know anything about Venice, which was the Republic of Venice, not just the city. Right. Um, they were sea seafaring city state. So of they course. were, they built ships. Yeah. Um, and they said, hey, we will build your ships to get you to Egypt. But the army shows up in 1202 and it was way smaller mm. than the one that the Venetians had been preparing to transport so they built hundreds of ships yeah um enough to transport like an army of thirty thousand. Yeah. and what shows up is something like ten thousand. right like that ah, this is a problem um and it was a problem because they couldn't pay they couldn't pay Ooh. up um so i'd forgotten that the the ruler of venice for a long time was referred to as the doge doge the doge doge coin it. right yeah I, you can't look at that word now and it. not see it yeah. but um yeah so he said okay well How about if you guys, yeah, (laughs) how about if you guys, you know, scrounge around in the couch cushions of some of these nearby city-states and make up the difference? Sure. So what happens? The army takes off, they siege and sack the Mm. city of Zara, which is in modern-day Croatia, Mm. um, which just so happened to be an economic, like, vassal of Venice who had been a little rebellious hmm. lately. So worked out well for the Doge of Venice and the city they decided to go and shake down for the money they needed to buy their ships. I'm sure that was completely a coincidence. Yeah. It's like, hey, why don't you guys go right over there in that direction and yeah. see if you can... Just look for yeah. some money over yeah. there. See what you can find. Um, so they, they siege the city. It falls in November 1202. And Innocent all the while is like, hey guys, don't do that. You can't attack them. Right. These are... Um, they're, you know, mostly members of the Orthodox Church, but I still consider them Christians. Mm. I sent you on a crusade to go attack the Muslims. The, the Muslims. <laughs> you're attacking Christians. Um, you're attacking this city that's under the protection of the King of Hungary, mm. um, who was a Roman Catholic. Yeah. And he had been, taken the Crusaders' oath. Like, what are you doing? Um, but he wasn't, able, you know, it was too late. He couldn't stop them. They were already kind of gone. Because, again, they weren't in the age of, you know. <laughs> right. Mass communication. No, but he did excommunicate them. Um, and he said, hey, um, he rescinded the order on the basis that, well, initially, excuse me, initially he excommunicates right. them and then he kind of takes it back. Well, yeah. 
the Venetians, they kind of, they goaded you into it. Like it was those, it was those, uh, uh, tricky Venetians that, that made you do it. Right. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry for the pop culture <laughs> urges, but there's two, two movies that come to mind when it's talking about the, uh, uh, uh <laughs> the Venetians telling them exactly where to go. Which they, I don't know if they did or didn't. <laughs> yeah. but it's like not so much here or here. But right over here, yeah. <laughs> yes. And then, then, then the guy's like, uh, you know, he excommunicates him and gets in trouble, and it's like, uh, reminds me of uh, the Venetians made my, me do my it. My cousin Vinny. Oh yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Don't talk to me sitting in that chair. <laughs> well, he told me to sit here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Oh man. Um, so you might think, okay, well now they. They worked things out with the Venetians onto the Holy Land. Right. No. Nope, not nope. quite. Um, Let's go get some more yeah. Orthodox Christians. Right, yes. So uh, you have to back up a couple years because yeah. a couple years before this, the Byzantine emperor had been dethroned by one of his brothers. And the son of the emperor who was deposed, so the rightful emperor, I guess, uh, wanted to get the Crusader army to come and help him retake the throne for his father, mm. who was still alive, but... He had been, you know, thrown in prison. He was in bad condition. He'd actually been blinded by his uh-huh. brother who took over. So to kind of sweeten the deal, to get the Crusader army to come along, he says, Hey, right. we'll help you guys out on your little crusade if you come over here, help us overthrow this yeah. Byzantine emperor. Oh, and by the way, once we take back power, we'll get the Eastern Orthodox Church to come back under the Pope. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, now... This is a great idea. Yeah, if you look at some of the other things that now, he this is, is what. 250 years after uh, this, the Great Schism, right? Um, well, ten, uh, 1054, so... 1054 to 12... About 150 years. 150 years? Yeah. So oh, it's been bad. a little while. Yeah. But you look at some of the other things he promised. He promised, I can, I can put 200,000 troops in the field. Like, ridiculous stuff that oh, he, he never could, could carry through on. Um, and and, and his crusaders were... <laughs> we'll do it! <laughs> Say no more, we'll do it! They were uh, scoundrels. Yeah. I mean... And innocent, again, he says, no, I forbid you to do this. You right. cannot engage in any further attacks against Christian cities. Unless, of course, they're getting in your way of the way of the crusade that I declared. So right. he he didn't specifically come out against their plan, but he right. said, like, well, unless they're getting in the way, then right. go ahead and attack them. Right. Like, if they're kind 40 miles like, well. like, uh... <laughs> This is movie reference day for me. Apparently, he he tried to, as hard to stop them as Willy Wonka tried to stop the kids from going yes. and doing the bad things. Don't, Don't stop. stop, come back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they take off for Constantinople. They arrive there in July 12, 1203. Uh, they lay siege to the city. There was some fighting, uh, but before even the month was over, um, the usurper flees the city. He runs away. Mm. Uh, probably seeing the writing on the wall. Yep. And the emperor was restored with his son to reign as co-emperor. So that worked out nicely. Yeah, not for, so much. <laughs> for the son, anyway. <coughs> um, but yes, you're right. It did not work out uh, so much because the new emperor was overthrown overthrown and murdered. Oh, no. All right. After which the uh, crusaders grew to discontent and battled with the new, new guy. It's like, wait, do we still get our army? Right. No. No, you don't. And they <laughs> sacked the city again. Yes. So this is the kind of the infamous sacking of Constantinople uh, over the course of three days in, in April 1204. And it was, I mean, I, we have, don't have time to go into detail, but it was bad. It is, yeah. it is remembered in history for a reason. Yeah. It's like, oh, the crusade to take back the Holy Land really yeah. just went to sack Constantinople. Yeah. yeah. 
just terrible stuff. Which was essentially the Rome of the Orthodox Church. Correct. Yeah, yes. So. They would. I mean, they still called themselves the Roman Emperor at the mm, time. Right. And we say Byzantine Emperor to help, sure. to help distinguish. Uh, yeah. Distinguish. Right. Um, so Innocent condemns this as he only could. Um, but obviously it was too late. Like, hey, Crusaders and Venetians, you absolutely should not have done this. What you did was wicked. Yeah. Um, but for all since the good you did it, did. right? Um, yeah, since you did it, you know, why don't we see if we can heal this schism thing here? Right. Never let a good crisis go to yeah. waste. So what, he he absolutely dump, jumps on the opportunity. He appoints a new patriarch for the city, who would I guess he would be the Western Roman patriarch of it still exists. Yeah. Uh, within the Catholic Church, although it's basically in name only. Yep. So he points a new patriarch for the city to whom the new French rulers of the city forced the Greeks to submit. Hmm. But with as with so many forced submissions, that only lasted as long as the city remained in their control. Yep. And it was recaptured by the Byzantines in 1261. So before, I mean, you know, uh, pretty quickly thereafter. 50 years? Yeah. Yeah. So... This is, well, the end of the Fourth Crusade is that, yeah, some of the Crusaders made it. Some of them eventually got there. Right, made it to the Holy Land. um, But it was, you know, it's unclear exactly how many. Sure. But the consensus seemed to be it was significantly less than a majority of the original army that assembled in in Venice. So at least some of these uh, French, German, English nobles had the. Intention you know, to try right. to go and, and had the principle they, to say, no, yeah. this is what we're here to do. Right. And right. we believe this calling is noble and we can dispute whether, sure. you know, uh, and we've talked about that on an episode of the Crusades like mm-hmm. a gajillion years ago. Yeah. But at and, least they had enough honor to say, we're not doing that. Like right. we're not sacking that city. We're not going to Constantinople. This is wrong. We're not doing it. It, it came to basically nothing at yep. the end of the day. Man, what a debacle. Oh yeah. Just crazy stuff. But innocence not done yet. Nope. <laughs> last one. The uh, Albigensians. Yes, that's how I would say it. Or Cathars, Cathars. Mm-hmm. Religious sect that had become prominent in northern Italy, southern France. This is the, uh, yeah, their beliefs were like the Gnostics of the early church period. Uh, the physical world is evil. Jesus did not have a physical body. Salvation does not come through the cross, but through attainment of gnosis or spiritual knowledge. You know, wokeism. <laughs> <clears throat> they didn't believe in water baptism or communion. And so Innocent sought to convert them. He actually did convert a few of them. Right, some. Yeah. Uh, until his papal legate <laughs> in the region was murdered by the servant of one of the French noblemen who was protected by the Albigensians. Uh, so Innocent had the opportunity. To declare a crusade against the Albigensians. Yes. 1209. Right. This so, guy, it was excommunication and crusade happy. Oh, yes. So the French nobles from the north, along with the king of France, were eager to take up the Pope's cause and to gain the land and power for themselves in the process. Thus the crusade lasted for 20 years, resulting mm. in the consolidation of power in France and the devastation of that region. So this is 20 years, so this was after he had died. Mm-hmm, yeah. It lasted longer than his life did. Yeah. Quite but, a quite a legacy. Yeah. What the, <laughs> let's talk about some of the good things. Sure. That he did. He the mendicant orders mm-hmm. came about under right. Pope uh, Innocent the Third, and the mendicant orders. I think the word I'm not sure what the word means has something to do with their their do, uh, the practices of those orders. Right. Given to begging. Mm, yeah. So they they essentially were not they didn't work. Right. So that was that was what they did. So the, the two major uh, mendicant orders were uh, the Franciscans and the Dominicans. Mm-hmm. 
and the Dominicans uh, were the intellectual ones, the most famous of which. And, and so these these orders were established by Innocent. He thought mm -hmm. that they would be good, and so he gave permission to establish them and to fund them because he didn't want them to be begging, right. essentially. And the Franciscans, interestingly enough, obviously went way liberal. Mm -hmm. And that was part of Francis's thing. Was Francis was like, listen, guys, you will not ever take money. Mm. You will not ever own anything. This is the rule. And, of course, he dies. <laughs> and you had two schools of thought. Mm. The conservatives, the rigorists, and then the ones that were more liberal in the understanding. Like, no, no, we need to change, adjust with the times, right. blah, blah, blah. And then they did. Yeah. And then they began to be essentially gluttons for money, not gluttons mm. for money. Well, they became, uh, you know, lovers of mammon. Mm. It, it seems, right? right. If you would, the the rigorist would have said that this is not what Francis would have wanted. Right. This is wrong. We shouldn't have done it. And the Dominicans were the intellectual branch, which one of the most famous Dominicans is one that uh, I I think causes some bit of a kerfuffle today. Mm. Thomas Aquinas. Ah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, but it was believed by the Dominicans that they were to be, uh, this is Dominicans as in the disciples of Dominic. Right. Not Dominican Republic. Right. Yeah. Just so we're clear. <laughs> I'm calling them Dominicans because of that. Yes. Um, and uh, it was believed that in order for them to be able to refute in the public square, that they needed to be well-educated. Mm -hmm. And so Dominicans, even to this day, are still very, very well-educated. Right. And they're probably some of the most interesting of the, the orders that you mm. could talk to. If you ever meet a Dominican, I don't know, for, I'm going to say friar, they're, 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 they're priest. Mm -hmm. um, so if you take, if you ever get a chance to talk to them, man, you should do it. They're, they're really interesting people and usually very, very smart. And, of course, the most famous of them would be Thomas Aquinas. Yeah. So uh, perhaps an episode on him yeah. in the future. At some point. Yeah. Again, that came about because of innocent. Yeah. And so that's a good thing. Uh, or at least I would say it's a good thing. Some people would argue against that, but <laughs> we'll get into that another time. Yeah. Is that it? I think that's all. Yeah, it was a lot. But very, it, hopefully interesting stuff. I was very interested to, to read up on I'm telling you, man, this. this this would be a great drunk history. <laughs> not not I'm not condoning anyone getting drunk. You shouldn't do that. Right. Don't 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 get drunk. But you know, the drunk history isn't right, a, yeah, yeah. a show. Um but anyways, as we've also said before, you know, it, it's easy for us to look back and think of all these people who made these crazy cra did these crazy things and think, "Man, what horrible people they were but mm -hmm. man i'm telling you, you you if you if you truly believe that then you you don't know your own heart well enough yes yes because again we live in an age where you are being watched constantly and what's sad is who is it somebody else said this recently i think it was nathan our brother nathan who who frequently is out protesting the baby abortion bills mm. um said like it's almost as if all of these people in the western society fear muslims more than they fear God. Hmm. Because they, in the West, they'll proudly change everything to the rainbow, whatever, supporting right. the common cause. But in the Muslim countries, nothing. Mm -hmm. It's like, they really do. It's like, they have no fear of God at all. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, so we're always watched. Everybody's watching us. And the thing that people forget is that God is always watching. Right. And I think in the time where 
we weren't as aware of us being watched by other people that it would probably be a lot easier to think that, oh, no one's watching. I can, yeah. I can get away with this. Yeah. And the Pope's in Rome and we're in Venice. <sighs> yeah. And by the time we get there, it's too late for him yeah. to stop us. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, so we say all this to say, uh, study church history, but also understand that we're not for God. We would yeah. be just as wicked and horrible and evil. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, hopefully this has been uh, helpful fun. to you and fun. A little bit fun, maybe, if hopefully. you like history. Yeah. Um, so feel free to reach out to us. You can email us, connect with us on Facebook or Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. Share the episode around if you thought it was worth sharing. And uh, we will talk to you next time. 